And so the rep on the phone will often be like, well, you know, I, I appreciate you calling. Why don't you think about it and let us know? And you can't be that wishy-washy. You do have to be a little bit more direct with a lot of the referral call-ins because they're used to enabling. And so you have to kind of break that down a bit and say, hey, you know, you need to take a stand here. If you want your loved one to get a treatment, this is what needs to happen. Welcome to the Treatment Marketing Podcast, where we share what's really working to generate admissions consistently and ethically so you can help more people escape addiction. If you're ready to grow your census, let's get started. One of the primary theses of this podcast since it began, well, actually, there are two. So number one is this idea that the way treatment centers in general are approaching their marketing needs to change. They're too focused on things like call volume. They're too focused on things like the quick win. But the other is that the industry as a whole is changing in ways that are going to punish some of these short-sighted, short-term marketing strategies evermore with every passing month. And we thought we were pretty far out on the radical fringe in saying this stuff. But my guest today is somebody who is of the opinion that that's just the beginning, that not only are all the changes we're predicting coming down the pike going to happen, but the entire insurance model is also going to change. So he's Nick Jaworski from Circle Social. They're one of the only reputable marketing agencies that's serving the niche. I discovered him last year when I was looking around for other people doing what we do, the Facebook advertising, and practically everybody else I'll get into this was manifestly full of baloney, but Nick's blog proved that they knew what they were talking about. So when I wanted to have a conversation about where things are headed with the industry, as well as just get a second opinion about what's working and what's not. I knew that there was nobody better to turn to than Nick. So Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Nate. I really appreciate you having me on. Awesome. So as I said, you guys were one of the only marketing agencies serving the treatment industry that's really legit, that really backs up what you say. I know there are a couple others, but... We've both seen almost all the marketing agencies serving this this space. And given that you guys have actual chops and a track record, why even go into treatment marketing? Why serve this niche? Uh, that's a really good question. And everybody asks me it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I actually, I actually wrote a blog on it like a couple of weeks ago. Just like, I'm like, here, read the blog. So there's a couple of reasons that I got into it. You know, when I was a young man, um, late teens, early 20s, I got into trouble myself, a lot of drinking, got some DUIs and went through treatment myself on an outpatient manner, you know, what, 20 years ago or whatever. And as I often talk about, it was a pretty bad experience, actually. The treatment provider that I went to was not very reputable, not very quality, and they had nothing to do whatsoever with me moving into recovery. So that experience always stuck with me. And then after I built the marketing company, you know, I was looking around and two of our first clients just organically were an addiction treatment center and a large behavioral health provider. 
So that kind of got me deeper into the space. And I started looking and seeing that there were two main problems. Like one, there's a lot of mom and pop shops out there. And unfortunately, they do a pretty poor job of marketing and operations a lot of the time. So we were just trying to kind of learn more about the space and maybe get some clients. And so I started calling around. And I found that I could never get a hold of these treatment centers. I'm like, so there's people out there that need help. And I know from my experience that when you reach out for mental health or addiction needs, it's a very small window. You've got, you know, I'm ready right now. And if I don't get on the line with someone, I might be gone for another six months. Yeah. And then as I researched deeper, I started to find out about the call aggregators, the big media buyers, the lead aggregators from an SEO standpoint. I started to learn about the patient program. And so I realized that on the other end of the spectrum were these treatment providers that were not good quality from a clinical perspective often, but they knew how to market like crazy or some guy that just knew SEO built up an online platform and they were selling names and numbers to the highest bidder. And that really upset me. So I said, you know what? I'm very passionate about the space. We know what we're doing because we've been working for our other clients for at least a year by that point and we were getting results. And so I said, okay, we need to go full bore into this. And that's how we got into it. Yeah. So that's a really interesting anecdote about that you had a negative experience yourself with treatment. How has that manifested itself in terms of the type of clients you guys work with and what you do for them? What do you guys do to make sure that you're, that you're tipping the scales in a positive direction? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So, I mean, from the beginning, when I started really going into this niche, we started vetting clients right away. And I visit almost all of our clients before we actually sign on with them. So part of kind of the requirement of working together is that they need to have a strong vision. They have to be kind of in it for the long haul. And so that starts off with an in-person visit with me and my team where we go, we evaluate the program, we evaluate the marketing. Because, you know, just like I think we've spoken before, you have to tailor your marketing to the center. It can't just be these plug and play campaigns. Like yeah. just plug and play it, be super easy. That's why it doesn't work, right? So we do a pretty strong vetting process. You know, I do a lot of research online, kind of read up on people. And then now, you know, obviously I'm getting more and more into the industry, understand where people are coming from and different things. So it's a bit easier. But yeah, there's a very strong vetting process that goes on in our end to make sure that we're working with a a clinically good program that has their heart in the right place. Yeah. So just for instance, what would be a disqualifier if somebody approached you and wanted you to do marketing for them, but you were like, Oh wow, this, this thing's a red flag. This is too shady for us. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of red flags. I mean, the, the most obvious one is they just call up and say, Hey man, I need admits. Like right now, how can you get me admits? And they don't ask questions about how we're going to get those admits, but not interested in having a longer conversation about tailoring campaigns I've actually had meetings arranged with uh, center providers when I'm in Florida or California, and I'll go and I'll find that like the center is in a back of a warehouse or there's no sign on the door, and then I just walk out. Oh wow! And like really obvious stuff, you know. I'm like, why did you even call for a meeting at your location if you knew it was like I, you know, I don't know, whatever? People are just weird sometimes. What other ones? Oh, people. Well, this one drives me up a wall. They'll say, well, how much do I have to pay you for an admit? And they'll say, well, that's illegal and you can't do that. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was just testing you. I want to make sure I'm working with a marketing company. 
I'm right. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> but, but they're like, no, really. How much? Yeah, those, those are, those, right, right, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, usually it's pretty obvious. It's very rare that I am misled. Actually, it's never happened that I've been misled, and then I get to the center. I'm like, oh, you guys are really shady. You know, you, you can always tell on the phone. Yeah. So obviously I've got a bunch of questions I want to ask you about kind of the, the methodology of your marketing, but just one more thing on, on, on this subject, cause I find it so interesting. I'm wondering if you have any particularly touching success stories, like you helped a center get us a, a certain client who was really in a bad spot and then he or she turned their life around and is, is still doing well and not to put you on the spot, but I'm, I'm always interested in those sort of things. I mean, obviously, we get feedback from our clients that patients are doing well, and we will do alumni testimonials and alumni stories as part of our marketing campaigns. But I can't say I follow up on individual clients coming in that closely to be like, well, this is one of the ones that came from our campaign, and this is how we help them. However, obviously, we monitor calls, you know, and we will also, we get a lot of messages in when we run Facebook messaging campaigns. And I mean, we have people that call, they, they call and they, they say that they're ready to commit suicide or we get messages stating that people want to commit suicide. One of our clients three weeks ago actually had, um, they had a patient walk into the office and, and just blow their brains out in the office. Oh my God. Um, right, right there in front of everybody, you know? So, yeah. And so that stuff happens in this space. You you know, I, you know, I prepare my staff for it, but we're also not trained to deal with it. So I think it, to kind of answer your question, it's, you know, it's scary, but it's also rewarding for us to know that, I mean, because we've got systems in place, like, okay, if we get a suicide message in, who do we contact and how do we kind of reach out to them or, or get on board right away, right? And to see that we're making that much of a difference for most marketing companies, that's not something they deal with, right? They're, they're selling shoes or they're helping a company sell more coffee. You know, for us, we design a website that has a really good UX or, you know, user experience that helps them get to the, you know, a line of safety quicker that can save a life. When we set up a campaign that gets people connected to a quality center, which is only the only ones that we work with, it saves a life. So for us, that is just really meaningful. Yeah. I mean, you can't turn on the news or even go on your Facebook feed without seeing a story that's either directly related to the addiction epidemic or tangentially related. Like just as an example, there's that new Netflix series called First and Last, which talks about people in the the county jail, I think it's in Atlanta, and it's people their first 24 hours and then their last 24 hours by release. And addiction is a through line through all of these stories. Whenever you see somebody who, when they're about to get released, they seem like a normal, functional, motivated human being, you're like, why were they in there? It, it's almost always addiction. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I've been watching a lot of those, but but it is it is good when you see that type of thing to know that as you say you're not just selling shoes you're actually connecting people who need treatment who can benefit from treatment with centers that you know are going to actually provide it to them and i think that's a key because most people out there don't know you know that there are so many bad providers in the industry whereas you know i'm quite aware of it and so it is very meaningful to me to know that I connected a person that needed help with the right center, that they didn't end up at, you know, one of these crappier centers that are just fly by nights, 
So yeah, it, it means a lot to me. Yeah. Awesome. So I discovered you last year, as I said, when we started specializing in Facebook ads, because nobody else seemed to have the slightest clue what they were doing. But I read an essay that you wrote and I was like, oh, these guys are legit. So I know we approach Facebook differently. You know, my company specializes in it where it's only one sort of small facet of what you guys do, but you've written so intelligently on it that I couldn't not ask your opinion about this, both for selfish reasons and also hopefully for the benefit of the audience. But if you could tell us what's different about your approach to Facebook from that of most of the agencies and why you think they're mostly not getting good results. Well, let me give you two pieces. And, you know, I mean, again, you know, reading your stuff as well, you guys are very good at what you do. You know, I can tell by the logic, the way you run campaigns, the way you write that we have very similar perspectives. Oh, thank you. you. But for people, uh, I mean, really, you, you know, like I said, most people, I think we've talked about this before, but, this space is very copycat-ish, right? Nobody actually knows what to do, so they just copy everyone else. And that's derivative at the end of the day because they're not going to get as good of results usually because eventually right. you end up saturating the campaigns, the audiences, the techniques. People end up getting in, in spots where they're stuck. So we have always been pretty innovative, I'd say, on the marketing end, and we're always trying different things. And so we already had a solid Facebook campaign strategy in place that was allowing us to get admissions before AdWords tanked. And I think you guys were similar. And so that was kind of key for us. But why does it work for most people is they think, because all all they know is AdWords, um, and most people don't understand marketing anyway, but they run these happy frappy campaigns is what I call them. So it's like, see sun and sand, come and get, you know, recovery by the beach. Yeah, exactly. Nobody cares about your happy, crappy image, (laughs) you know? The one thing I always tell clients that's really useful, I think, for them is to understand that to get people to understand what you offer, you have to understand their pain. For alumni, they're super happy. They're in recovery. They want to share that story. They want to hear what others are in recovery. For people or families with loved ones that are in active addiction... They have a very dark world and you have to reflect that dark world and show them that hell, not that you want to show them that, Hey, this is awful. But you want to show them that you understand what they're going through. And that's from a copy perspective. That's from a video content, from English content perspective. And then you can show them the heaven at the end of it. Right. Where it's like, okay, we understand where you are. We built that trust. We get you. And then here's how we help. So that's a big piece to kind of answer your question. Move away from the happy, frappy stuff. Um, really understand your audience. And then on top of that, personalize it. Because there's so much distrust in the space right now. If I don't see your center with your staff and your alumni, I'm not going to believe you most of the time. So if you have stock images across your website, if all of the ad campaigns you run are stock photo footage, uh, especially from like a retargeting perspective, it's not going to be effective. Now, the last piece, and this is one of the things that you guys do really well, is the direct response piece, right? The behavior-based, people-based marketing, where if you watch 50% of my video, I'm going to pull out that 50% of the people and send them a follow-up message saying, hey, why don't you read my piece on what a quality addiction treatment center looks like? Then I'm going to track everyone that reads that piece, pull them out again, right? And I'm going to remarket to them, build what I call a trust funnel, right? 
where piece by piece I'm building trust with my audience based on the behavior that they take, the content that they're viewing, how much of the content that they're engaging with, all that kind of stuff. And that's where most of these treatment centers fail. They think it's like AdWords, where it's bottom of funnel, people are already looking for treatment. That's not the reality on Facebook or billboards or newspapers. People aren't looking for treatment. So you've got to engage them, you've got to get them interested, and then you've got to draw, drive a lot of value before you pitch them. And there's not a quick win there, which is why um, a lot of treatment centers don't get it, because they're always looking for the quick win. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that thing you said about resonating with their pain. And I think we come from a a similar philosophy when it comes to copywriting. And the way I always boil it down is if you don't resonate with someone's emotional state when they're reading the copy, they're not going to believe that you understand and you're not credible to them. So just for instance, if someone's at rock bottom or close to rock bottom and you show them some generic palaver that just shows everybody loves escaping from addiction, you know, click here and call us. People are going to zone out because they're going to assume that you don't understand what they're going through. I mean, it's emotional resonance. It's also specificity. It's like, what are those deep down things that only someone who had been through it would know about? Yes. And you've written about this before, but you know, your average person seeking treatment, I should say that, but a lot of people seeking treatment are not junkies on the street, right? You know, I mean, this is unfortunately how so many centers and so many marketing companies portray people struggling with addiction. The reality is that most people struggling with it have families, have jobs, have houses they're trying to keep, right? And so when you show these really kind of broken down images, yes, it does reflect some people's reality, but for the most part, especially for the part with people with qualified insurance and the money to pay, they have a much different life. Right. And they're just trying to get better so that they can continue that life. Yeah, definitely. So I think this is a good point to segue to something else you've written about and made videos about, which is that in the wake of the legit script requirement from Facebook, you've also made noises that non-branded ads on Facebook are going to go away soon. And we had a conversation with our Facebook rep after I saw your video. We were not able to confirm that independently. I think maybe your Facebook rep is is higher up in the organization than ours. But I wanted to touch base with you about that and also ask how you think that's going to affect the industry. Well, there's a couple pieces to it, right? So branding is insanely important, especially nowadays, because you're trying to differentiate yourself from the competition. So again, what most centers have been used to is I'm going to buy X amount of calls from some aggregate lead generation call center or whatever with no branding. And my conversion rate on that, if I have a decent call center team, which a lot of centers don't, is 0.5%. Right. So point so one out of 150 calls, I'm lucky to get into an admit. And the reason for that is because they're unbranded. Right. right. I, I don't trust you from Adam. I don't know you from another addiction treatment center. It just happens that I'm on the phone with you. And if I turn into an admit, it's probably because I did get a good conversation with a rep. You know, most people don't have that experience. So the branding on that end is essential for treatment centers to move towards to because you have to have recognition in the space. When you're so, what has shifted another shift in this space is people used to evaluate two to three treatment centers and make a decision. Now, with all the bad publicity, they evaluate five to seven. Yeah, so you're course. competing even at that bottom of the funnel with a lot more treatment centers 
and marketing, then I'm much more likely to go with you. So all that branding is really important. And then specifically for Facebook, well, Facebook terms of service, right? You cannot send people from a page to like a non-branded URL. They really frown upon it. If they catch you, they'll usually shut down your account if you send it to like a generic lead page. You have to, and this is legit script verification as well, right? You have to have your rep answering the phone. You have to have any campaigns going to your website. So all of that stuff is really important. You might not necessarily need branding on the image of the ad that you're pushing out, but it has to come from your page. It has to go to a landing page on your site, and it has to ring to a phone that is answered by someone that actually works for your center. Yeah, I've been shouting this from the hills for a long time too. Like number one, branded just converts better, just writ large. Like who would you rather send a, a relative to? Someone who you have a little bit of a relationship with someone who's maybe supplied you with some helpful information to solve your problem or rehabs.com, right? I mean, not to call anybody out, but it just converts better. And, and yeah, as, as you said, like I wasn't even aware that uh, there was now that requirement that it, everything had to be branded as part of the, you know, legit script and, and Facebook. We, we've kind of been heads down just running branded anyway. That's great. I mean, I think that's, that's a positive direction for the industry. So I wanted to make sure I got your thoughts on running a call center because one thing that you guys do is you delve a little bit deeper than we do in terms of actually seeing what your clients are doing once people in need of treatment call them. And I think a good way to get into that would be to ask, what are most centers doing wrong when it comes to fielding these calls or, or fielding these, these form submissions from, from people who need help? So we saw this right away. Basically, every marketing agency, even every marketer I talked to in this space understands that most treatment centers somehow think your marketing is going to magically generate admits, right? They're like, if the marketing is good, they're going to enroll my center, which is not the case at all. The marketing will drive the inquiries, but you've still got to close that deal. Your call center rep has to be on point to make them actually want to come to your center. And so we realized that pretty quick uh, as we were building the agency. And I realized after, especially after I started listening on calls, (laughs) that I'm like, oh my God, this is why these guys aren't converting at all. So why aren't they converting? Oh, lots of reasons. I mean, the biggest one is people don't answer the phone. Uh, We have clients that have just don't answer the phone like 25% of the time, uh, which is absolutely shocking to me. But yeah, but they just don't. Or they let it go go to voicemail or they let it go to like a really crappy answering service. We have had clients that just transfer people like without telling them what's happening. They'll just be like, oh yeah, one second. And then suddenly they're on hold for like a minute. And you're like, what? What what just happened? Why? Why? You know, um, people that are walking their dog and they'll, I mean, I've had an admissions director on the line saying, oh, I'm sorry, my dog's a lot. I'm walking my dog right now. And this was three o'clock in the afternoon with this, you know, potential patient that was a qualified insurance qualified lead. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you guys are, you know, trying to up your senses here. And you just told them you're walking your dog while you're uh, taking this call. You know, people that are grocery shopping and like handing money to the cashier. But so that's some really, you know, really um, egregious things that happen. But other ones are like, so a lot of people in the call center space, they come up from recovery and they're really passionate about their recovery, but they're really poor at sales and admission mm. is a sales perspective. And so they'll talk about themselves all the time. This is what I did. This is why this center is so great. 
They don't talk about the potential patient's problem. They don't build rapport. They don't understand what's important to them. They just kind of blast a spew of information at people. So that's a big training issue that we often have to deal with. Just understanding call times, you know, like, so some centers, if they're really bad, they'll just ask for insurance information right away. They'll say, hi, what's your insurance information? Right. Said that pretty frequently. And so it's teaching them to build a little bit of rapport before you ask for the insurance information. And then again, what, where a lot of centers fail is you need to get that VOB on the phone. So when you get uh, insurance information that needs to be sent off to someone, whether you're doing verified TX or whatever, get the VOB information. And then while you're still on the phone with them, let them know what their benefits are, that they qualify for your center. And then immediately you're booking plane flights. So all in one call. And that means calls can go 40 to 45 minutes for a real potential admin. And that's right. hard for a lot of call center people to, to understand and to do well. You know, and then they're, they're wishy-washy, right? So a lot of parents, especially loved ones, enable their, their loved ones to continue an addiction for too long, right? And so the rep on the phone will often be like, well, you know, I, I appreciate you calling. Why don't you think about it and let us know? And you can't be that wishy-washy. You do have to be a little bit more direct with a lot of the referral call-ins because they're used to enabling. And so you have to kind of break that down a bit and say, hey, you know, you need to take a stand here. If you want your loved one to get a treatment, this is what needs to happen. Yeah, it's like as a first step, maybe have them actually be in the office. Like, let's start there. Right. Sure. Amazing. Right. So, you know, what we found, what we'll try and set up is laptops. So if they are from home, you can build your system so that the call comes into their laptop and so that they have to be at the computer to take the call. That's right. Helpful. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I wanted to make sure before we ended this interview, I asked you about some of the other big things you've written about changes coming down the pike in the industry. And you've written some pretty controversial things about the direction addiction treatment is headed among them that the PPO model is dead. So what do you think most centers and agencies are getting wrong? Big picture in the way they approach marketing for treatment and especially vis-a-vis that, that you see PPO is going away. Sure. So my interest in this field is long-term as I think yours is. And I'm, I am a business guy, right? I understand strategy. I understand long-term growth. And so I'm always looking at where the field is trending and where it's going, whatever industry I'm in. And this is something that is very clear to me. And I think it's also very clear to most people I talk to that come from outside the space that there are huge shifts happening. And what most centers did for a long time is they relied on these PPO policies because they brought in really high margins. You know, you could get easily $1,500 a day, sometimes more reimbursement. And it was only costing you, you know, like $150, $200 a day to run the center if you didn't have a bunch of luxury stuff in there. So the margins were insane, and that's what centers got used to. And so they overbilled a lot of the time. So even if they didn't need to charge that much, they did, right? Insurance companies got really upset about it. But it's not just the addiction treatment field. I mean, so yes, insurance companies got kind of upset with the field and have lowered reimbursements because of that. But healthcare has changed in general. So if you are getting PPO benefits, often let's say that you have $5,000 deductibles in your in-network benefits, which before that used to be like 500. So that was manageable. Now it's 5,000. Well, your PPO benefits are 45,000. So it's just the same as cash pay, right? 
So the providers in terms of insurance providers have completely shifted the way that they reimburse for addiction treatment services and just deductibles in general. And I think a lot of centers have realized that they need to move in network. I mean, most clients that we talk to these days, if they're not already in network, they're moving in network. And so your margins are less. You have to start lower, build a relationship with the insurance provider, and then negotiate higher rates over like a five-year cycle. So it's much more of a long-term game than it used to be. But there's just no way that you're going to be able to maintain a PPO policy practice. If you've got 10 beds or 15 beds, you might be able to get away with it. But if you're starting to get into 100 beds or more, it's not sustainable. And also, part of the reason that that's happening is the cost per admission when you run multimedia leads, right? A lot of centers were paying somewhere between forty five hundred, and they'd be up, they'd be willing to pay fourteen thousand dollars for an admission in terms of marketing spend, you know, two years ago, and right. you could at least break even on that. Well, now you can't, right? It's just not sustainable when you move to these in network models. You have lower reimbursements from insurance providers, so you can't afford to regularly pay seven thousand dollars in admin. You've got to be paying at most three times of your daily rate, right? So if I'm billing at $500 a day, I can't be paying more than $1,500 for an admission overall. And so that shift is huge and people need to get on board with it. Or if they don't, they're going to close down like so many centers already have. Yeah. So to go really brass tacks with that, because I'm sure that people listening to this will be like, okay, that's scary, but what are we supposed to do about it? You know, say you are a high margin residential center that's relied on PPO payouts for like the last decade, and you're looking at the specter of this going away. Like, what steps should these guys be taking to have a hope of staying in business? This is what we talk about with clients all the time and potential clients is they have to be moving for the long term now. So, to get in network with an insurance provider, I mean, minimum six months, like a year if you're lucky. So you've got to do it now if you want to build it out, especially if you're in Florida or Orange County or something like that, where insurance providers are really cautious and almost not willing to work with most centers. So you've got to do that immediately to kind of defer your costs. If you're trying to go for a national model, you've got to be really targeted. You can't just go for anyone and everyone anymore because the costs of marketing are too high to do so at a national campaign level. Most centers, what they're doing is they're still dreaming of the past and they think that AdWords is going to save them. So there are literally just tons of clients like waiting in line and say, well, I'm just going to wait until I get my legit script and then I'll run AdWords. Yeah. Not that the cost would drop. It's not, you know, the clients that we have running it that got the legit script early or cost for admit than what we were seeing a year ago. So that's a big issue, but they've got, I think long term. So in network is big. They've got to look at volume more than high margins. And most of them need to get lean operations in order. So a lot of centers are not great business owners. They, they really focus on the clinical, which is great, but they don't understand how to make sure that the team is lean enough. Um, they don't make sure how to have a high conversion rate in their call centers, you know. So for these reasons, they're paying too much money in operational overhead, and they're not able to keep their doors open, you know, low. all these shifts, but they're all long-term, right? There's nothing that you can do that's going to change tomorrow that's going to flip your center around. This is why people are struggling so much, because they're not willing to invest for the long-term. They're, they're looking for short wins. They try to jump from short win to short win, month to month, and then they end up closing down six months later because they ran out of cash runway. Yeah. 
So that's a, that's a great segue too, because we had a conversation a couple months ago and you told me that there were some centers that you'd either spoken to directly or heard about who were only considering contracts week to week. And that very week I had a call with an owner of a chain of national centers who said every week we throw $10,000 at a different marketing channel and see if it works. And it was just forehead slap because that's like every... Every day I plant a different type of peas in my garden. And, and after that week, I see which one's doing best. And then like I cut all my losses. So, you know, we've talked about our pet peeves, things like that. And probably the other big one for me is this call volume myth. And you really called that out by saying like the, you know, 0.15% conversion rate. So if you, you get 150 of these aggregated calls, you're lucky to get a single admit. But besides those you know, and given this climate where a lot of the largesse is going away and centers need to run leaner operations and actually get good at business, what are the other frustrating misconceptions that you find are driving people out of business in this space? Hmm. Well, I mean, you really named them. So I think the biggest issue is people's unwillingness to change and unwillingness to deal with the reality that's there. So, I mean, I was just talking with the center owner who said, well, you know, it's unfair that the insurance providers did this and it's unfair that AdWords or Google cut out AdWords to us. Well, uh, the reality is, yeah, that sucks, but you got to move with the times, right? One, you should always be investing in R&D. So you have diversified marketing streams, diversified revenue streams, right? So that's a big issue right there that you weren't doing that. But most centers have not prepared for the future and are not investing in themselves at all for potentialities. They whine and complain about how it used to be rather than changing. So you've got the time, you've got to see what's happening, you've got to make those changes. And if you don't know how to do it yourself, you better contact someone that can help you. And you're going to have to pay for that. Uh, the call volume thing drives me up a wall. You know, like, well, I just need calls right now and you call right now. I mean, you and I both know that if I want to generate $30 calls, I can do that all day. If you want to give me $10,000, I can generate as many calls as you want with that money at $30 a pop. They're going to be all Medicaid. Yeah. There's, there's no branding. There's no trust. There's no build up. There's no targeting, right? It's just blasting out campaigns. And if I'm on Medicaid, I'm not expecting to pay anything. So I'm happy to talk to anyone because I just want free, you know? So that is a big deal. And I was just talking with Kathy Frosard, who's a VP of business development and sales at Foundations Recovery Network. And they were very down census, right? A couple months ago, as everyone was kind of struggling. And they were generating 20,000 calls a month. 20,000 calls a month. I mean, just imagine that massive amount of call volume coming to your call center. Well, what she did is she actually focused on quality, you know, which is something that we talk about. And she dropped it in half to 10,000 calls a month. And they went from 10,000 calls a month, but they significantly up their census, like significantly. And I'm, you know, I'm not at liberty to share those numbers, but it is a very significant jump and a very healthy jump at half the call volume they had, you know, a couple months ago. So that's, that's amazing. Just a real great example. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, and we see that with our clients all the time, right? And you see it, I know you guys do a lot of qualification in your lead process, it's scary for centers because you're going from, you know, 10, 15 calls a day at a minimum to 
maybe one or two, or maybe one call every two days, but there's a big value add in terms of your cost of operations, your cost of marketing, right? Where I might be only getting one or two calls a day, but they're insurance qualified. And so I know that they have a high percentage chance of converting. And so I can staff my call center less, which is less expensive to me. I can pay less in my marketing, maybe, because I don't have to generate all these BS calls. So there's all these advantages to it. So I think the call volume thing is a big deal. And then the last one, like you mentioned, is the fact that you can somehow get admissions immediately. Like, where in the world can you give someone $10,000 and they're going to give you $30,000 back in a week? Like, if you can get those returns in the stock market or in private equity, hell, let me know. You know, I would love that. (laughs) But no one in the world can generate that kind of return in a week, right? Whether it's a marketing company or a business, um, unless you're like Google or Facebook. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. that's reality so how do you generate real returns real as well you got to invest you have to build audience you have to build brand and that takes time and you have to be strategic like we keep talking about you've got to go in a very focused direction it's scary you know it's going to take time and, and there's not as much certainty around the return as you'd like to see in a short time span but if you're smart about business and if you really understand this field and what patients are looking for, you can make very well-educated strategic moves that will pay off. And they do. You just have to be willing to go for it. Yeah. To, to summarize what you sort of been saying this whole interview, obviously the tide is going out. There was kind of a Wild West era where maybe a lot of folks who didn't have the greatest business chops and maybe didn't even have the greatest treatment chops um, and weren't in it for the best reasons are going to find themselves out of business. And it's really going to select for the folks who number one are in it for the right reasons. They're in it sincerely to, to help people recover. And number two, who are willing to play the long game and invest in assets and, and learn business rather than just milking the PPO policies. Yep. That's exactly it. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Nick, where should people find you on the web if they want to find out more about what you're doing? Well, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, uh, LinkedIn is probably one of the best places. Just Nick Jaworski is my full name. And just find me on there. I write and post a lot about addiction treatment, marketing, the industry, operations. Otherwise, obviously, you can check out my company, Circle Social Inc., at www.circlesocialinc.com. And as always, feel free to email me personally at nick at circlesocialinc.com. Yeah, definitely check out the blog over at Circle Social. As I said, like that's how I discovered you guys and some really intelligent things, both about tactical marketing and also about where the industry is going writ large. Hard, you know, some medicine. People have to take their medicine, but it's good medicine. (laughs) Anyway, thanks again so much for joining us. Nick Jaworski of Circle Social, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Treatment Marketing Podcast. To get show notes for everything we mentioned in this episode, plus free marketing resources, go to admitscout.com slash podcast. Yeah. Good.